Hey everyone, welcome to the Communication Coach Podcast, where I'm going to help you to create successful change through powerful and honest conversations. I am your host, Nikki Perfect. Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today we're going to talk to Susie in Conversations from the Coffee Shop. Susie's 16 and she's going to tell us about her journey and her challenges that she's had with mental health illness. She's going to tell us about how she tried to take her own life and was sectioned at the age of 13. This episode might not be suitable for everybody. We do talk about suicide, we do talk about self-harm. For me personally, I found this incredibly insightful to be able to speak to somebody at the age of 16 who has had their challenges and is willing to share their story to help other people is amazing. I feel it's a real privilege and honour to have shared in this conversation with Susie. It certainly makes me reflect a little bit more on how I communicate with Megan as she enters this emotional adolescent period of life. I hope you enjoy it, take good care of yourselves, and if you feel that it would benefit anybody, then please share or show them where the podcast is. Thanks ever so much. And now over to Susie. Hi, Susie. And thank you so much for being interviewed on our podcast today. And for those people who don't know anything about you, uh, you're going to tell us about your story and how you were sectioned at the age of 13. How over the last few years, you've worked very closely with CAMS and how they've been supporting you also the work that you're now doing for them on the flip side to help other young people who might be having mental health challenges at this time. So over to you, how would you like to start this? Shall we just start from the beginning? Yeah. Okay, great. Tell me what happened when you were 13 and how you ended up being sectioned. Okay, so it, so, um, it started in September of 2017 and I started getting like really angry all the time and like getting aggressive towards mum and it was like every single day and we just didn't know why. So mum went and spoke to school and they got a family intensive support worker involved and um like she basically said that I was just a naughty kid and I just you know that was that so and then I just took her word for it because you know she's a professional you know she knows what she's saying whereas mum was like no there's something actually wrong with her so she went back to the school and the school like we'll do a referral for cams and um so they put in a referral but the family intensive support worker declined it because she was just like, she's a naughty kid, like, you know, I'll give her some flashcards um, that will help. And I tried to explain to her that, like, the flashcards weren't going to help. And um, she was like, oh, yeah, they will help. So I had a bad day, ripped them up and threw them at her. And she was like, that's not helping. That's, you're just a naughty little girl. Okay. And I just told you there. So if I can, just because there's a couple of things I'd just like to ask you before. Yeah. I know you've got lots lots to say. Um, so when you're the lady that said you're just a naughty girl and your mum was like, no, there's something more more to this behaviour, 
How, how did you feel when she said, no, you're just naughty? And especially around the flashcards when you ripped them up. And she said, well, that's I just, I just thought maybe I am. Maybe it's, that's just me, you know. I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to be that for the rest of my life. Okay, so, uh, so, so by giving you a, I'm going to call it a label, so by labelling you as being something, you felt, oh, okay, well, maybe I am just a naughty girl, and so I'm just going to be naughty for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Please carry and on. Then, <laughs> and then, um, so the school couldn't help because they had to get everyone in my care's, like, permission, say, to like refer me so then it got cancelled when she said no so then mum was like instead of going through school I'll just go through the GP because the GP can like fast track it so um we went to the GP and they put me on medication for schizophrenia and bipolar and sent a referral to CAMS but it got declined so um we just carried on and it was just bad and bad and bad all the time um, and then I, I didn't really speak to this family intensive support worker because she just weren't helpful. And then in the middle of December, I attempted suicide for the first time. I was taken to hospital. And that was when I was referred to the CAMS crisis team for the first time. They assessed me and said that I was like, okay, like, you know, it was just a one-off thing. Um, they gave us the crisis number, but that was that. And then I got discharged from General Hospital. Mm. And then um, it went back to being bad all the time, me being aggressive and, like, not going to school. And, like, it was just rubbish lifestyle. And then um, the start of January, I attempted again and taken back into hospital. You attempted suicide again? Yeah. That, that was your second attempt? Yeah. So despite being um, diagnosed by your GP, you still couldn't get the help no. that you needed? And so then you were referred to the emergency crisis team after you um, tried to take your life the first time? Yeah. And still not quite getting things in place. Your behaviour was spiralling out of control and you tried to take your life a second time? Yeah. And how old were you then? Around the still this was still thirteen. So that that sounds like a really confusing time for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then the middle of January, um, I had a really bad breakdown. It was the morning of I had to go to school. And I really didn't want to go to school. And Mum was like, "You have to go to school. We're all going to get into trouble and everything." And I was like, I don't want to go to school. And because I had attempted suicide twice, mum had to put all my tablets, like not even just my tablets, like all the tablets in the house in a locked, like safe type thing. And um, she went into the kitchen because she was getting my little brother ready for school. And um, she, I went into the bathroom, got the box chucked it on the floor and smashed it open and started taking loads of tablets. So mum freaked out and then called um, for an ambulance and it was like one of the worst days of my life. And um, I went, so then the because of what had happened, the police turned up as well 
and so it was paramedics and police and like um they were all really amazing like they were really supportive and they tried to calm me down before getting to the hospital like getting into the ambulance it weren't like they just rushed me into they like tried to like calm me down and I told them I didn't want to go but they were just like you have to like we have to check you over so then I was get, got taken oh no oh no I've just missed a Oh, that's okay. Have you missed a bit out? Yeah. Okay, just go back to that bit. That's fine. So at the start of January, when I attempted for the second time, mm. when I was taken into hospital, uh, that was when they referred me finally to CAMS. And I was seeing a psychiatric doctor at CAMS. And she said that the medication I was on was too, like, wasn't the medication I should be on. So she tried to, like minimalize it and then I had a few sessions with her and it was really good and then um she wanted me to start like therapy so um that's what I was going to start and then a few days after the meeting which was like the middle of January was when I had a huge breakdown and couldn't cope any longer and that's when I attempted suicide again for the third time and that was when um like I took the tablets and everything and the police and ambulance turned up and I was oh and I was taken to a uh, hospital and I saw the CAMS crisis team and they they told me that I have to stay in for a few days so then I was put on the psychiatric ward and I was segregated from the rest of the ward then that was when I was segregated and like kind of put in the corner like I was contagious and like, I was going to infect anyone that came near me and then um sorry Susie can I just ask a question around yeah because yeah, you said a couple of things just in that bit around you you spoke to somebody um before you were sectioned and they really helped you you you've you enjoyed that what, what was different what was it about that she so all the other people spoke to mum, like they all just spoke to mum, whereas the psychiatric doctor listened to me and mum. It weren't just what mum was saying, like, and she made me feel validated. Okay, perfect, great, thank you. Yeah. And so then, you, so then you were sectioned, uh, you went onto the psychiatric ward? Oh no, so I, w yeah, so I was on the general for a couple of weeks, Yeah. and then they sectioned me and I was taken to Rochford which is roughly about 95 miles away from home. 95 miles away from everything that you've known? Yeah. Yeah. And you said that they segregated you on that ward? No, so they segregated me on the general ward. Yeah. That's, sorry, that's what I mean. So on the general ward, they segregated you. So yeah. What did segregation look like? So, like, um, so there was the ward, and then there was a corner bit that we had to stay in. I remember there was this, I was reading my book one day and this little boy came over and was like, will you come in the playroom with me? And I, I was going to say, no, I'm just reading my book, maybe a bit later. But the nurses came over to him and was like, oh no, you can't come over here. You can play anywhere else in the ward, but you can't come in this corner. And it was, it was just like, oh, I see. Okay. You know, is there like, is there something like, what, why, do you know what I mean? Like, Hmm. It was, yeah. Because you used the word contagious. 
Yeah, it did. It felt like like now it's like looking at now scenarios mm. like the people with COVID nineteen on separate wards to people that don't, and it was a bit like you know you had to stay away from us, like because mm. there was a few of us on the general ward. And we were only allowed to go in the playroom if there was no other people in there and things like that. Like, we had to literally be kept apart. Okay. And then on the 5th of February, I was sectioned. And they never told me, like, how far I could be going. They told mum, but they never actually told me. Um, They just basically told me that I was going to a specialist hospital. And because I refused, that's why they had to put me on a section for my own safety. And then, like, I had, like, no one told me anything about what an inpatient unit was or anything. Then on the 8th, they told me they had a bed in Rochford, which was roughly about 95 miles away from home. And uh, that I was going that evening. Like, there weren't much pre-warn. It was like, right, we're going now. And then because I had, like, I jumped out of the car with mum driving it before, they told me that I weren't able, like, mum weren't able to drive me up because of that. So um, I had to go in an ambulance. And the paramedics in the ambulance were really good. Like, any scenario that I came up like came up with in my head they would like try and find a positive to it so like if I said I'm on a section two like I'm not going to be allowed to leave for 28 days they'd be like but at least you're not on a section three at least you're not there going to be there for six months you know and um it was just really nice like they were and they they were just they just chatted to us it weren't like I don't know, they just they just made me feel less terrified than I was. And then, um, so that was getting, like, getting to the hospital. And then a couple of days after being on the ward, one of the patients committed suicide late at night. And um, the, this alarm went off, and I had no idea what this alarm was for and why it was going on off but uh, I just freaked out and sat in my shower fully clothed trying to drown out the sound and then I only found out the morning after what the alarm was and what happened and the staff were really like really supportive and like they they let us talk to them about anything but all I wanted was my mum but due to the distance like she couldn't come up so like everyone else was having like their parents and everything come up and see them like on the day and like I just was able to phone her and that was it because she had to work Mm. and then um and then uh can I jump in and it was snowing and it was snowing and yes. it was snowing. So, so mum, that sounds like it wasn't just because you had to work, but you couldn't come up because it was snowing, so you couldn't actually get there. Yeah. Would that be fair? Yeah. Didn't even remember the snowing. Yeah. But um but yeah, and then like the whole dynamics of the ward completely changed after that. And um yeah, it was just that we all came together but we were all distant at the same time. 
and then um so that's an interesting statement that you just made there. We all came together, but we were very distant at the same time. So if, if I can just sort of summarise what you've just said to us in the, those last few moments. So you, you, you've been sectioned, you're on a ward, you're a long way from home. Uh, the staff were fantastic to you. They let you talk about anything. And it sounds like you got on pretty well with all of them, most of them, whichever. Um, and then one evening the alarm started to ring and unsure of why you sat in the shower fully clothed to try and drown out the sound of the alarm. And it's only the next day you realise that the alarm had gone because one of the girls that were in the, in the unit had committed suicide, taken her own life. Yeah. 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 And then, um, it was really nice because it was February half term. So like, we were all off school and um but like the teachers still came in so like we could go down to the education center and like just get away from the ward for a bit and then um hold on and then so it was like yeah like like i said like even though we all came together and was there for each other we were all really distant and like we just didn't really talk to each other but like knowing they were there was nice and then it went back to just you know like being in hospital it wasn't bad but it wasn't good if that makes sense like apart from that situation there was no like like yes I had bad days and yes like it was rubbish like being away from home and everything but there was also positives to it like you saw yourself getting better before mm. anyone else did and like I became very independent with my feelings so beforehand like even when it was bad if something like happened or like I was feeling in a specific way I would like go to mum and like I'd be like mum why am I feeling like this how can I make it better but because I didn't have mum 24-7 I just had to learn to do it on my own and like get through on my own so even though I know that like mum's there to talk like even now like I've learned, like, from then, I've learned how to do it on my own. Like, it's not like I need somebody to tell me why I'm feeling like this and things like that. So it, get, so it helped you to sort of work out, okay, I'm feeling this way. I, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. But actually, there's a way that I can work out what it is and and how I can change that a little bit would that yeah be, that'd be right yeah but like on my own yeah. instead of having someone there yeah so yeah and then and then I got discharged from hospital mm -hmm. on the 5th of May mm -hmm. well what was the diagnosis if you don't mind me asking what did they diagnose it with? was conduct disorder mm -hmm. separation anxiety mm -hmm. 
and sibling rivalry disorder. I think that's it. Um, and then, so I got discharged and then the school, the school started off really bad. They just expected me to go straight back into school. Mm. And like, I was just like, I can't do that. I've went from being around the same six, seven people every single day to then go back to school where there's like 200 plus people just in my year. So eventually we got like the perfect phased return for me. And then, um, so it started off that like, I would just go into school to like have a meeting with my teacher. And then it started off um, me going in, signing in and having a meeting with my teacher. And then I started signing in and having my CAM sessions at school. And then um, it went to me going in my uniform and having CAM sessions in at school. And then I started going to one lesson. And then I built it up. And by December of 2018, I was like in full-time school. And then um, summer of 2018, they, so it's back and forth now. Uh, summer of 2018 I was um I had a meeting with CAMS to see if I wanted to join DBT group which was a new group they were starting and um they wanted to see if I would try it out they were like they thought it would really help me so I was like I'll give it a go you know there's not much to lose if it doesn't help me but then there's a lot to gain if it does can you just explain to us what those initials stand for Dialectical, dialect, I can't say it now. Dialectical, dialectual behavioral therapy, I think. The di, it's something dialect, something. And then, um, so I did that. And then when, so that started in uh, September of 2018. And I would do, so I'd have a group session on a Monday afternoon for an hour and a half. Then I'd have a one-to-one session another day in the week. So we'd learn skills on the Monday. And then we would talk about how I was feeling and how I'd helped, those skills had helped me more on a personal level in the one-to-one session. And then, so that was a six month group. And I found that really, like really beneficial. Like that literally was one of the things that like still helps me today. And then uh, it came to my last session of DBT and the weekend before me and like it kicked off again and it went back to how it was before hospital and it was like really bad and then we got to group and mum spoke to the um cams group because she had a parent group as well and she basically just told them that she'd had enough and she can't do it anymore and um and then when i had when my group finished they got me to come and speak to her and mum was just like i can't do it anymore 
and she was like, I just want to go home and leave you here. And they said that if she does that, like, she can do that, but it would have to go under abandonment, and mum didn't want to do that. So she basically said, like, this was the last straw. If anything happens again that bad, then, like, okay. it's, like, she can't do it anymore. Yeah. Can I, can I just hold you there a sec? Susie, yeah. Take you back, because... Um, is when you say, can you just explain what you mean, if you don't mind, by kicked off? Because it sounds like whatever happened pushed your mum to the edge of being able to cope. Yeah. So, um, so it sounds really stupid, but, like, I don't really remember it. So, like, majority of the bad days when, like, I became, like, aggressive, violent, like, suicidal all of the different emotions I kind of block out so I don't actually remember what happened but um I know it was and I think it was like the whole weekend like it was really bad and um yeah mum just basically said that she she can't do it anymore like she's got to think about the other kids as well Mm. so um I said to her, I promise you, like, I will fix it. Like, I will do anything I can to make it better. And she was like, I'll take you home. But, like, after today, that's it. And um, so then we went home. And since then, there's touch wood. There's not been, um, like, a bad day that bad since. But um, I still was having my one-to-one sessions and that came to an end on the 1st of July. I had my last session and in my meeting, I said to my psychiatric doctor and therapist, like, my biggest fear is me going back to where I was because I'm having no support and I don't want to walk out of the cab's door and, like, never be able to get the support again. So she said, how about you try, like, the user participation group, which is basically you're giving back to the service and, like, helping the service instead of the service helping you. And I was like, I would love to do that because, like, CAMS kind of saved my life. Like, it, I probably wouldn't be here if, like, the support from CAMS. And um, so I got involved with that, and I just... I genuinely thought it was just going to be, you know, sitting around just chatting and, like, nothing really going from it, but they just wanted it so it looked good on their part. So I kind of went in with, like, a kind of a closed mind, like, it's going to be rubbish, like, you know, but, oh, well, I'll try it. And within the first couple of weeks of me being at the group, I did my QI training which is basically quality improvement training. So it was basically training to say, I know what I'm talking about when I say things need to be improved. Oh, things need to improve. So like, it's, it, it was basically more of a document. So when I say, like me and like other people in the group say, this isn't right. I have a certificate to say, I know what is right and what isn't right and then literally I think it was 
the end of August, I did my first podcast with Cam's, uh, and it was I. Did, so it was my first podcast, but it was also the first podcast. So we were just talking about what we had done in the service and things like that, and then, um. In year 11, so when I went to school in year 11, um, we did, uh, so I was asked to, so Kemp, a school, oh, a school in Kempston um, got in contact with Nikki, who is like the user participation lead, and just basically said he doesn't think the people at his, like the students at his school really understand mental health. Like they use it as a joke and things, and he wants to educate them. So, um, Nikki spoke to us and he wanted to do a week's worth of assemblies. So, she asked any of us if we wanted to. I was like, I'd do it, you know, just I didn't want to do it on my own because I'd never done an assembly before. So, me and another one of the girls did it together, and we spoke to year nines which like they were all they all looked at us like they were actually listening <coughs> instead of being there if that makes sense and it was nice because you saw the look on their faces when they're like people who actually go through it it isn't just a joke and then I've also been on like interview panels so um if someone was applying for a job and they went to their interview stage, I would be on the interview panel to like say if they get the job or not, and um, like our opinion is actually valued, and like that that was the biggest thing for me because I was like I can sit on an interview panel. It's like nothing, like you know. But when they were actually asking me what I thought about it, I was just like, oh, like people are actually listening to like 15 year olds at the time. And then today, actually, I did a big speech um, to two, I think overall there was 252 people on this call. And um, I basically just told them my story and their, um, how like how they've helped and how and they wanted to know what they could do to improve so yeah and then they also asked me because they didn't know that I was already involved but they asked me to help plan the um an inpatient unit and get an inpatient unit started up in Bedfordshire and like there's not many 16 year olds that are helping set up an inpatient unit in Bedfordshire so yeah that's kind of that's kind of me cool. yeah. <laughs> yeah well done you for doing that today yeah that's pretty awesome you, it's, I keep nodding I don't realize that they can't actually yeah, see you can't see yeah. okay, so <laughs> that's all right so um there's a few things there um and i uh, tell me that if you don't want to talk about anything just tell me you don't want to talk about it and we won't okay. we'll move on so we've talked before about what happened to you and i know at some stage you um self-harmed 
Yeah. And I wondered if you could, because I think I, I get quite a few people asking me in communication, what can I do? What can I do with my, and it, it's generally girls, to be fair. The majority of people that speak to me about self-harming, it's generally girls. That might be way off the track. Like that's just talking from personal experience. But they, they say, you know, what, what can I do? How can I, how can I reconnect with my teenage daughter and stop her from self-harming? So from your perspective. Well, um, so I've never like physically cut myself Mm -hmm. and when I went into hospital they asked me if I self-harmed and I said I headbang but I don't cut yeah and they basically was oh so you don't self-harm and I was like well I headbang and it took like two or three nurses to explain to this doctor that any form of harming yourself is self-harm so when I remember when I was headbanging like mum used to just tell me I want you like please just stop it just stop it and one of the things we both learned in DBT was instead of trying to like for me trying to make me stop or mum telling me to stop instead of that change it so I used to headbang onto my bedroom wall and instead of that mum would give me a pillow so I'd headbang into a pillow so you're still getting like the urge out without harming yourself like do you know what I mean like even though because some like with me it weren't that I was like wanting to harm myself it was more I wanted to get that like anger out without putting it on anyone else so I'd put it on myself right yeah so like not so don't tell them to stop just try and find other alternatives to mm-hmm. it so because yeah because it's easier to change than to stop if that makes sense so it's easier to change the behavior but still get the frustration out than it would be yeah to sort of stop doing it completely yeah okay yeah so you've come a long way from the age of 13 to 16 yeah i mean i've been discharged from camps now because I was readmitted, but now I'm finally discharged completely, and I'm just now with the user participation group. Mm-hmm. So, so you're going around talking to uh, kids of your own age and younger, and, and older. Because, and yeah, the one I did today was to um, professionals, like from doctors to nurses to high the doctors and yeah, so. yeah and i i know when we've spoken before there's a couple of pieces of advice that you would give to somebody so if, um if you if you have a friend who is self-harming what would you what would your advice or your suggestion be to those people well first of all i would say don't keep it a secret like even if you tell someone, you're still going to do it. Like, it's like, just because people know, it's not going to stop you from doing it. So if, like, if that's the worry, like, like, if you know you need, that's like, you need to let your frustration out in that way, telling someone 
isn't going to stop you doing it. It'll just find a safer way of doing it. So like, so like with me, like instead of headbanging, I spoke to mum and I spoke to the nurses and doctors and they said to do it with a pillow. So even though like I never stopped, I just found a safe way of doing it. So sometimes like talking, it won't, they're not gonna always stop it. It's just gonna help if that makes sense probably didn't make sense but yeah yeah well it made sense to me (laughs) (laughs) so it's like if you know somebody's doing it don't be afraid to get them help because they're not yeah they're not going to stop just because they've told you yeah and actually helping them to find their way through it will be better than them hurting themselves or getting to the point where they see a future anymore yeah yeah and it's interesting when you you talk about those times when you were angry and frustrated or suicidal and that actually the lead up point to that is difficult for you to remember but you just got to that point yeah yeah and both your mum and you have had some interesting experiences I guess over the last three years yeah. Yeah, I can see your mum nodding <laughs> nodding in the corner there. But you've done you know, like listen to your story and I can't imagine what it was like for you. But I'm very grateful that you've come on to the podcast to share your story. Because I genuinely believe that parents and young people who listen to this will it will help them in some way, shape or form. We talk about validation and we talk about listening. And you've mentioned that a couple of times around, you know, people just talking to your mum rather than talking to you about how you felt. Um, Almost the expectation that the adult or the grown up, I say it all in inverted commas, is the person that will understand how you're feeling. Yeah. And actually, you're the only person that can. And it was one time when I was in general hospital, they, um, like, you know how you have your, like, notes at the bottom of your bed? Mm. Like, in uh, General Hospital. Well, my notes were at the bottom of my bed one uh, day. And I just picked them up and I was like, I'm going to have a read of it. And one of the nurses took it off me and was like, you can't read that. You're not in the mind frame to read that. And I was like, but anything that's written in there, I've been through. Like, it's vivid. Like, I just want to know how the doctors have put how I was feeling. And they just wouldn't let me read it. And I was just like, but it's how I'm feeling. So why can't I? But like, if mum was like, oh, can I read it? Oh, that would be fine. It was just, it was more frustrating than anything because it was me going through it. No one else. Yeah, I was the only one that wasn't really listened to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you need for me that kind of sums it up sometimes I, th- I think and I include myself in this because I do have a 13 year old in my life that sometimes I definitely make assumptions about how she might be thinking or feeling without properly listening to what's going on so I'm going to take some big lessons away from this hour with you so that's great and 
continue to work on listening as best I can. Is there anything else that you wanted to just say or any bits and pieces that you wanted to get across that you don't think you have got across in the last hour or so? I just think just listen to people. Like, you never know. Like, someone could be telling you some random thing, but you don't know why they're telling you that unless you listen. Like, you never know what's going on unless you listen to someone. So just listen to people and, like, actually listen to them. Don't just say you're listening. If you're not, like, and if you haven't got time, just ask them to talk to you a bit later where you can actually listen to them instead of kind of brushing it off because then no, they won't want to come speak to you in, like another time. Sounds like if, if somebody were in a position where they could tell there was something wrong with you but they couldn't stop what they were doing for whatever reason to give you full attention, then it would be better for them to say to you, Hey Susie, it sounds like something's going on that's really important to you. I can't give you my full attention right here, right now, but please come back to me. I'm free at this time and we can sit and talk it through. Yeah. That's that's a that's a valid point there. And I was just saying before we started this recording that behind you on your wall is one of my favourite quotes, which is life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass, it's about learning to dance in the rain. And it yeah. sounds like you have learnt how to dance in the rain. Yeah. Good on you. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. It's nice, <laughs> nice to go through your story and to share it with other people. And for I believe that we get a lesson from every story we listen to. And so many people will learn something from this so I'm very grateful to you thank you very much it's okay hey everybody Nikki again hope you enjoyed today's podcast and thank you for joining me you can find me on social media at Nikki comms coach at twitter and The Communication Coach on Facebook and thecommunicationcoach.co.uk. Please like, share and review and I look forward to speaking to you soon.